from the Apostrophe Podcast Network. They all come from the unknown north. Talent, drive, and a pride worth paying for. But just because they're above the 49 parallel, it doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate them just as well. So give it up to these canucks, because our self-promotion sucks. And if they all went away, we sure would miss them. The Canadian star system. Oh, hello there, and welcome back to the Canadian Star System, a podcast where we speak with some of Canada's most talented people and try to figure out what makes them so good and what makes Canada so bad at celebrating our own. Each episode, our star not only shines, but also shines the spotlight on another talent who they know is a star worthy of us wishing the best of success. I'm your host, Steve Patterson, and you may know me as the host of this show. With me, as always, is my producer and the woman who makes sure I click all the right links to be at this show, Diana Francis. Hi, Diana. Hey, Steve. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. How are you? I am very excited about today's guest. I'm very excited. Yeah? You are. I am. I'm more excited than you. We have a world-class athlete, multiple Olympic medal winning and living legend on the show today, which uh, makes me wonder... Diana, did you ever play competitive sports of any kind as a kid? I'm going to guess no. <laughs> I don't know if I should be flattered or insulted by that. <laughs> well, it's your creative genius. You can't have both. I don't think. Nice, nice save. Good save there, Steve. Thank you. I've been married 10 years now. <laughs> for, for a hot second, I, I was in sports. See, what happened was I got my first laugh in high school playing grade seven. And I'm not kidding. It was like a high I've never experienced before. So I told my mom I wanted to take drama when I got into grade eight high school. And she was like, yeah, good story. But you're going to learn how to type. And if you want drama, join a team sport. (laughs) So I became the weakest link on the volleyball team for exactly one season. That felt great. But I did win a trophy for fastest speed typer in my school district so you know stop it that was a competition fastest speed typist 92 words a minute after mistakes how did you change a story about were you an athlete into i was the fastest speed typer in my school district how did you do that you know because it is a sport typing is a sport steve i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with a hard disagree there diana hard disagree and what about you were you sporty as a as a uh, youngster, I, I'm going to say yes, but I bet you weren't very good at it. Oh, thanks, Diana. Real backhanded compliment that just turned into a complete insult at the end. I was I was a middle distance runner, which is like the 1500, 3000 meter races and cross country runner. My dad was a big runner, so he wanted me to become a runner. And I still remember him coming to a meet. I joined the track team only because they had middle distance running. And frankly, because you got time off school to attend track events. So I was in a race and I still remember my dad came to University of Western Ontario in London to watch me race. And I didn't know a time to put for the 3000 meter because I hadn't run it inside before. So the time that they gave me that my school made up was the fastest heat. So I was in with all the fastest runners for the 3000 meter. 
So they took off and I just ran as fast as I could for a while. And then I got really tired and my dad was standing at the side. I was in about fourth out of eight. And my dad said, okay, Steve, pick it up. Like I had anything <laughs> to pick up. And I, I fell back each play. And I think I beat one person in the ray. I came in seventh out of eight. And that, to me, that was a victory. So I was celebrating like I won because I beat <laughs> one person and my dad's never been so disappointed. So that's my history of athletics. Wow. It would have been great if you'd come in fourth because then you would literally be the middle of the middle distance running. Oh, <laughs> middle, middle. Yeah. And fourth, just out of the medals. And as our guest will attest to, you don't want to finish fourth. <laughs> that is a just, great segue. It is a good one, isn't it? Look, I'm happy to say that's, uh, that's all of our Diana and I's athletic talk. Let's get to our featured guest, because I can't wait any longer, a multiple Olympic medal winner, world champion, awarded the Lou Marsh Award as Canada's Outstanding Athlete, named one of Canada's most influential women multiple years, is in the Canada Sports Hall of Fame, is on Canada's Walk of Fame, and her memoir, Unsinkable, served as the motivation for thousands to improve their lives and spawned the nonprofit foundation of the same name, and she holds honorary doctorates from so many Canadian universities that her official name is Dr. 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 Silken Lauman. Dr. Lauman, are you there? Yeah, I don't know if all those doctors make me smarter, but I too, Diana, am a competitive <gasps> typist. So, you know, seriously, I really pride myself in just getting those fingers flying across the keyboard. And the difference though, between you and I is that I almost failed. Really? Typing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I was all the sport. It was taken away from my. I was really uh, mad at my mom for not letting me take drama when I wanted to, but now that I'm actually a television writer, I'm I'm like, uh, mm. I kind of got to give it to her. Yeah. That was a smart backup plan. Now, to be fair, she was like, "Cause yeah. you'll become a secretary." That was as high as she could dream. But there's therapy for that, so you'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my comedy career has been. Yeah, there you go. We pride ourselves on this show on asking the questions that no one else will. And uh, I did not <laughs> see this interview starting this way. Let's swap typing <laughs> stories, everyone. <laughs> you know, let's. We're we're obviously going to get into uh, Olympic history, the Olympic mindset, and everything moving forward from that. But I have to say, first of all that it is an honor to meet you when I was watching the 1992 Olympics at the age of 21 and being awed by your performance there. I did think to myself, you know, at some point, I'm going to meet that person. I didn't think it would take 30 years, but here it is. It's a lesson in perseverance. Always follow your dreams, everyone, no matter how long it takes. And I have to ask, first of all, the name Silken, I have never heard before ever of anyone else. And as much as everyone talks to you about all your amazing accomplishments, what, what a great name, Silken. It's so many, um, it's thousands of times better than Steve. What was it like? <laughs> what was it like growing up as a Silken in Mississauga, yeah. Ontario? Uh -huh. Did that drive you to be uniquely driven? Yeah, well, you know, my, my kids are named Kate and William. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, obviously, there was some trauma there. There's at least 25 Silkens named after me actually since 92 which is a huge compliment but in the day silken i was it i was the only yes. silken that i knew it was interesting when i first got into my first job was in publishing and i used to pitch authors and i would say oh you know have them call back silken Lauman. and i think half the time 
they would call me back because the name was just so different. Right. <laughs> I'm curious no- now, like as a Diana, I don't like it when people call me die because, you know, mm. that's not a fun word in general. No. I, I prefer D it's if you're going to shorten my yeah. name. Yeah. So what do people shorten your name to? Oh do you get God. silky, like oh, yeah. silk? Slick. 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 Oh, I like that. Uh, I mean, yeah, that, that's pretty yeah, nice. Woolen, polyester. I mean, we just, it just goes <laughs> oh, on. Really? Oh, they went with like different textiles. Oh, totally. <laughs> that was my thing, yeah. Woolen, ladies and gentlemen, woolen Lauman. It does not, yeah. it does not have the same <laughs> ring to it. Okay. Well, now we've, uh, by the way, is, is there a translate? Is that German in origin? Your family background? No, it's no. just, it's just original. My mom was an artist. I, I right. say no more. Okay. Oh, I'm, I actually thought it was going to have translated to woman with silken hair. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Something That's, like that. Oh, okay. I love it. Well, now it's an even better story because it's just an original, truly original name. Yeah. yeah I've heard Silke before. Silke is a German name, but never Silken. Okay. We've got that out of the way. Mississauga will give a shout out to again later. When everyone thinks of Silken Lauman, they of course think of the seminal moment, 1992 Olympics, you had the incredible injury, terrible injury, 10 weeks, I believe it was, before uh, before the Olympics. Doctors didn't expect you to certainly not row again. You could barely walk, certainly not compete in the Olympics. And then you go out, not only compete, but win a medal, which is an, an incredible moment, not just in Canadian Olympic history, just in Olympic history in general. Is that as big a moment? to you as it is to everyone who who thinks about you for for that moment. I know you've gone through much more since mm-hmm. then and done so much more, but can you still recall that moment as if it was yesterday? It was a seminal moment. It, it was a life-changing moment. It came right before the 1992 Olympics where my goal and kind of my dream that I'd worked towards since I was 11 years old, like, you know, all my attention was on winning that Olympic gold medal. And then 10 weeks before the Olympic Games, boom, but my entire path changes. And I'm actually told I'm not going to go to the Olympics. I'm going to row maybe recreationally in the future. And that moment stands out in so many ways. You know, the moment of being told uh, that I wasn't going to the Olympics and that sort of stubbornness inside me of like, no, I'm going to, I'm still going to do this. But also how that moment shaped so much of the rest of my life. You're right that, of course, Steve, I've, I've moved beyond it. I've done m- many, many things since that moment. But I think when I reflect on it, I really see that that summer and, and getting through that accident really showed me the power of my mind to move through any challenge that I had in life. And I've always believed in the power of our mind since then in a, in a way that's kind of different than before, because I saw it in front of my own eyes that physically it was impossible to do what I did. It just doesn't make sense. But my drive and my goal was so clear. I wanted it so badly that that was stronger than the physical injury itself. Do you remember feeling any doubt whatsoever in in that moment or were you just kind of like well this is i'm you're in denial but you somehow as you said it was an impossible mm-hmm. physical task that you somehow managed to pull off but you did feel doubt you allowed yourself doubt but just worked through it 
I think I oscillated between fear and doubt and absolute conviction all the time. What was on my side was there was so little time. So in a way, I, I couldn't indulge in the doubt and the fear that we all kind of do before, you know, when we're starting a big project and you're like, oh, maybe I can, what, who do I think I am to do this and all that stuff that the chatter that goes on in your mind, like the, the gun was to my head and I, and I, and I was just like, I'm going to do this. Well, that's so, on the starter, frankly, the starter yeah. is not supposed to aim the gun at the competitor's head. <laughs> it felt like the gun was being aimed. <laughs> <laughs> and in, you know, you won incredibly after that Olympics, you then won, you competed in another Olympics, won a mm -hmm. silver medal, you won the bronze in 92, but did, is that bronze medal, and I believe you have spoken about this, it's an incredible achievement to win any Olympic medal, but all the talk at the Olympics mm -hmm. uh, when you pulled that off was this is, this is a bigger moment than any gold. Would you agree mm -hmm. with that? There's races that I've had in my life, the actual race that stand out as more phenomenal, like winning the world championship the year before the Olympics, when the lead changed seven times, she led, I led, she led, I led all the way down the course. And then the last 30 strokes, I made this kind of final bid. And like, I knew for 30 strokes, I was going to be the world champion. And that was like intoxicating. And like, I got so excited. I almost like let go of my horse. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show her. I'll show her. I'll, I'll swim the last 25 meters. <laughs> but then there's this surreal feeling about 1992. I was still in so much physical pain. There was still so much physical trauma going on in my body that I was almost separate from the experience. I was just dealing with what was going on in my body. And all my memories are as if I'm watching it in third person. And because I, I kind of was, you know, I was just dealing with the pain and dealing with all the pressure and the, the media and, and it just went by like in, a, in a, like a kind of a dream state. So I, I've really consciously gone back. I went back to Barcelona, in fact, uh, about 10 years ago. And walked through the whole course and took out a rowing shell and like rode the course just wow. to, so I could remember because the mm. thing, the, the, the thing was like, had a dreamlike quality. We're just going to a little, a little sidebar, Diana, when you hit 92 words per minute on the typewriter, similar feeling. Oh, it's yeah. complete out of body. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just floating above yeah, the, the keyboard, the, right? Absolutely. Every once in a while, I just have to go back to an old, you know, electric, typewriter <laughs> okay. just right. to remember right. what we've that already taken up like. too much of miss laubin's time uh, on this typing all right yeah, honestly when you think about high school like was that one, not one of the most useful things you've learned like that's actually transferred into life outside of <laughs> it really was and i will say i miss the electric uh, keyboards because i liked the rhythm of those old uh that you know that you couldn't go too fast you couldn't jam the keys uh, uh, yeah, you I, miss those. I immediately regret dipping back into this i really do <laughs> now at the 92 Olympics, you also were flag bearer after that incredible moment. And you allowed yourself then to be overcome with the emotion and just letting it all sink in, really. Could you describe what that is like to be a flag bearer at the Olympics? During the Olympics, there's there was all the pressure and doing the job and it's all business, right? You're just so focused. And I'm not really allowing myself to feel whatever I'm feeling because like, there's no time, there's no time to process. There's no time to feel. It's just, it's just business. And then the race was over and I was chosen as the flag bearer. And I was so, I remember that 
press conference, I, ju I just started crying. And it was the first time that I cried in all the press conferences I'd had since my accident. I was just finally, as you said, just letting go of everything. And actually carrying the flag in was so joyful, you know, because all of the team was behind me. You know, the pressure was off. We were having fun. I really felt like, I mean, we had won five medals, four gold and one bronze just in rowing that year. And so it was like the whole team's flag I was carrying. And it really yeah. felt that way. Um, and of course, I'm in a single sport and you don't get that many moments where you feel like you're really like representing the team and like connecting to the team. And that was one of those moments. And it was something I'll always remember. It's incredibly joyful. The Olympic mindset is, it's a mystery to me. I've met, I've only met a few Olympians, but the idea that you would train so hard mentally and physically, make so many personal sacrifices for a moment that happens every four years is, I don't pretend to understand it, the, the mindset of it. I just can't believe the focus that it would take. I had a chance to perform out at the Vancouver Olympics. I've never experienced, I mean, you know, the Canadian pride that happens when there's lots of big events, but I, I've never experienced anything like that in the thick of it. Just the camaraderie and the the goodwill of the that the Olympics can bring at their best, just between people from all different parts of the world. I mean, it's nice when you win, mm. certainly. It wouldn't it be great right now to have the Olympics just like let's all go there. Yeah. Let's go all like have it in Vancouver again tomorrow and take us out of the darkness that we're all in and the sense of divisiveness. I think that's really pervaded Canada yeah. um, through this last phase of the pandemic. And I just think the Olympics can be a time where we all remember that, like, we all actually have similar dreams and we can all get behind these young people who are just putting it all on the line. 100% of their life is into this seven minute race or this one minute performance. And I, there's something about that that just we all get. Yeah, it's and it's incredible. And you know that you're in, an entire country is cheering you on. I don't know. I don't know how many how you how else an individual can have an entire country behind them, wherever the country is. So listen, mm -hmm. let's talk now about uh, just a little bit. We don't, I, I I could talk to you for hours. You don't have that kind of time because you have other commitments. I do. I would like to just stay here and talk. <laughs> since that, since the Olympics, since you retired from Olympic competition, but you've, you obviously are always an Olympian, you wrote your memoir, Unsinkable. Obviously, speaking of the seminal moment in 1992, but lots of other moments that people wouldn't think you might open up about, about your childhood, about mental health struggles and challenges in your family, about raising a child with autism. And from that memoir, then spawned a nonprofit group called Unsinkable, which is doing incredible work, uh, including the guests that you're going to bring on today. But before we bring on your guest, could you tell us a little bit about Unsinkable, how your story has led to this group that is doing so many things and attracting so many of the same people with, with similar challenges to do great things. You know, making the decision to write my story Unsinkable and to publish it was pretty scary. It took a lot of courage on my part because I know, knew I couldn't tell this story in half measures. I had to really be authentic about my struggles. And a lot of those struggles were around mental health. They were around my mom's mental health and something that 
we'd never really openly talked about because it was very hush-hush in those days when um, somebody was struggling. And my mom is still undiagnosed and her erratic behavior and sometimes very emotionally destructive behavior never really had a name. We could never say like, why is mom, you know, doing this? And so that was that was really tough growing up, right? That 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 not giving it a name, and then to a certain extent, being at the generation that I'm at, in not then being able to talk about it and acknowledge it and say, you know, this happened. And so to write the book, I was not only acknowledging it; I was telling the story to the whole world. And I really I was taking a risk. I was changing public perception of who I was because I feel like most people know me as that rower who overcame the accident 10 weeks before the Olympic Games and can overcome anything. And and then here I'm saying, no, I've struggled with an eating disorder. I've really struggled in parenting in those early years. I uh, suffer from depression, some pr- pretty heavy stuff, but also felt like it was lying to not say it. Like, because I was already a public person, I was already spending time encouraging and supporting other people, being giving keynote speeches, telling people that, you know, whatever they had to overcome in their life, they could get through. If I didn't tell that deeper story is like, I wasn't telling the truth. So out it came and uh, caused some, you know, storms. But overwhelmingly, people reached out to me and shared their stories what they'd overcome, what they were dealing with. That I can't tell you how many times, Steve, people would say to me, I read your book and it really gave me the courage to go to counseling. It's incredible. Isn't that an incredible feeling? So grateful. Like, and also just like, I think I was able in my, the way that I describe my struggles to kind of normalize, like, you know, this is rage. This is not anger. Rage comes from dysfunction. Uh, rage comes from childhood trauma. And, you know, there, there were a lot of people that, I, I would speak to when giving keynote presentations about the book that would say like, wow, like I get it. That actually, that's what I experience. I experience rage. It's not anger. And having the aha moments, which, which I had had when other people close to me had shared their story. So I knew I was on to something. <laughs> and I also felt that like a lot of the stories that we hear are negative stories. Uh, about people, about mental health, about just even like news, right? It's it's all negative. I wanted to create something that was hopeful and helpful to other people and kind of help them along their, you know, journey, their emotional, spiritual journey. And so the idea of unsinkable came about to like, let's share these stories. Let's, let's hear people's stories about what they've overcome. And, and like, you know, Steve, when I was pitching the idea, I mean, we didn't even have a website and I was pitching like Jan Arden. Could you write an article (laughs) about your darkest personal secrets and, and, you know, publish it on this site that doesn't exist. (laughs) 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 And we went out of the gates with 60 stories. That's just incredible. It's just incredible to take that chance because you had this public persona that everyone knew of, that you're a, a champion in everyone's eyes. But I, I'm so grateful that you took the time to say, "Hey, it wasn't easy. Uh, I, you know, I make it, I make it look easy, but it hasn't been champion like all the time. I had to overcome all these things, and you can, and I'm proof of that. And and I think that it's a message that's really, really needed right now mm-hmm. more than ever, as people have spent so much time by themselves, maybe not in great, and in, in fact, sometimes in terrible home situations too." 
to have to overcome that and know that they're not alone in that. It's it's the perfect message to be giving right now, one of hope, mm-hmm. but also realism. Yeah. And I think, think the other thing is we're living in a time where people are manufacturing themselves, you know, the mm-hmm. way they look, what they're doing, what their social life looks like, what they're, you know, like it, and, and it's a good point. And so we, we get very two dimensional ideas of what a person is. And we need to deepen that conversation about like, you know, whether it's somebody you look up to, whether it's somebody you're following on social media, this is like a three dimensional complex human being who's had a past. Everybody struggles. You know, I was listening to REM last night. Everybody hurts, you know. Like, <laughs> hey. watching it. I'm crying. Because, <laughs> like, and I think that's what I've learned so much over the last 10 years is how universal struggle really is. And that we've kind of medicalized too that. I, the idea of like mental health and, you know, that, you know, you, you, you always have to go and seek out help. Well, obviously when you're in a mental health crisis, that's absolutely the right response, but all of us can be healthier. Yeah. All of us can be learning stuff and we can learn it from each other. And so that's kind of where unsinkable has evolved to is a platform where our champions and our community are helping each other and saying, Hey, I tried this. It worked. We're having, you know, community calls and youth councils and all sorts of different ways of connecting with each other to say, like, let's move each other along this journey. That's the correct answer. Uh, wasn't wasn't the question, <laughs> but yes, that is the correct answer. And we are uh, the website, just so everyone knows, is weareunsinkable.com. Is that correct? Or dot ca? Yeah. Yeah. Dot com. Dot com. Yeah, we'll let the Americans in on this too. It's not just dot ca. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for doing that. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Steve. Hey, Diana. What are we uh, selling, not really selling today? Well, Steve, are you losing sleep over being told that you're not going to the Olympics? No, not really. Or because you're the weak link on the volleyball team that you don't even want to be on? Nope. Or because you're told to pick it up, Steve, when racing people far faster than you? There we go. Then you need to get a good night's sleep in Silken Lauman's Silken Sheets with a thread count so high the sheets are 100% threads. Mm giving you a sleep so sound you'll wake up refreshed and able to win an Olympic medal no one thought you could win or come in seventh out of eighth in a middle distance run or have hands so strong that you'll destroy both a volleyball and a speed typing competition there it is I knew you'd bring it back to speed typing somehow way to go champ bring it home Silken Lauman's Silken Sheets are perfect for anyone who has hit that age where they look around and they say hey I want nicer sheets Plus, proceeds from each sale of Silken Laum and Silken Sheets go towards helping athletes pay for gas to get to their practice. I love it. Or, Diana, or the government could actually help support our athletes with actual cash. Oh, well, if you're in government, you'll want to try Woolen Laumann's Woolly Sheets. They'll make you itchy to give out more sports funding. Now that's an itch I can scratch. Come on, government, whatever your sheets are made of, show us what you're made of and support our athletes, you mother... Steve, behave yourself. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And now back to the Canadian Star System. Before we bring on your incredible guest today, and I, you know, we've been talking for a while now. We've only scratched the surface of all the great things that you are involved in. So I hope people will take it upon themselves to do more research, to get involved with We Are Unsinkable, to read Unsinkable, and to keep up on what you've been doing because it's a really, really important thing right now. Before you introduce your guest, I have a few quick questions. Quick questions. You are so many people's favorite Olympic champion. Who is your favorite Olympic champion and why? The person who inspired me to be an Olympic athlete, which was Nadia Comaneci, and she was perfect. She had a perfect 10. She also has had a remarkably difficult life. And, you know, she's an inspiring woman today. So she continues to be my number one. That's the correct answer. (laughs) Best piece of advice you've ever followed. I think the best piece of advice I've ever followed was from a woman who ran her own speakers bureau. And early in my speaking career, you know, I was really struggling with all the competing priorities, including having two young children. And she said to me, you can have it all. You just can't have it all at once. Mm. Ooh, I like that. It's really played out in my life because I think our careers are a lot longer than we realize. And I've always been able to have a balance between family and work. And I've definitely struggled with, oh, I'm missing all these opportunities. I'm not going to be able to do. But a lot of the people that, you know, were booking themselves 200 times a year, 20 years ago are no longer speaking. And I'm still going slow and steady and doing a whole bunch of other things. So I'm really grateful for that advice. And I pass it on to other people in my position. I think it's, I actually think it's great advice. Diana obviously likes it as well. And uh, as a person who has no option to retire, because I have two young children, and I'm a Canadian entertainer, I will, I will stick with that. (laughs) Do you have an arch nemesis? And if so, who is it? I know a lot of Olympians have arch nemeses. Like somebody that I competed with and could never beat. It could be, or it could just be someone in your life that's an arch nemesis that drives you forward. It could be your husband. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who is it? So I, I think it, <laughs> you're looking you know, upstairs he, to see if he's listening. No, I'm just kidding. You know, in, in, in some ways, Patch, my husband does drive me forward. In other ways, he's really shown me how to have more fun. He's really fun. He's the yes man. He says yes to everything. Love it. You know, you want to go out for dinner? Yes. You want to go paddle boarding? Yes. And I always have a lot of rules for myself. You know, you work, you do this, you do that, you do that. Then you reward yourself after working 12 hours with this thing. And and he's really brought out my spontaneity, which I think has been there all along, but has really brought it out. And we have a lot of fun together. He has helped me keep 
fun and playfulness as a larger focus in my life. So I, I don't know if I call him my arch nemesis, but I would say he is inspiring to me. Um, yeah, he's really inspiring. To me. <laughs> no, that is not, a, that's not what an arch nemesis is. So good loud, but it's someone that <laughs> it's your, it's like the villain that drives it's you forward. Can, can you give me the definition before I answer yes. this question? <laughs> Was there someone you competed against in the Olympics or in the world championships of rowing time and time again, that you, that drove you to, to do better? Definitely internally, Kathleen Heddle and Marnie McBean. Okay. They were so good at what they did. They were always nipping on my heels uh, in, in terms of, you know, trying to beat my times and, you know, beat my erg times. And so, I mean, I think the fact that it was such a pressure cooker within our country uh, also made us great when we started competing internationally. And uh, Marnie McBean went to my uh, university. So I'd like to think I played some some part in her success. We've never met. Uh, it's probably not a causal relationship, but but I just want to point that out. And speaking about universities, final quick question here. You have a number of honorary doctorates. We discussed that at the beginning. So your actual title is Dr. 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 Sokin Lamy. Of all the universities that you have an honorary doctorate from, if you're inducted into the Honorary Doctorate Hall of Fame, which you might be because you've won so many different things, which university will you go in under? Probably UVic because that was the my first university. It was my first honorary doctorate. Okay. See, very quick answer. Thank you. Because uh, you have one from West. Because yeah, Arch Nemesis took up a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I had to define what it was. Yes. Please clarify the meaning. I know. I gotta. I gotta come up with <laughs> to the English major. <laughs> I gotta come up with quicker, quick questions. These are the last questions we ask these of all the guests, and then we can't wait to meet our second guest today. You just got to fill in the blanks here for me, if you would, please. The Canadian Star System is blank celebrating young people and canadians who we need to hear about that is a very optimistic i like that i like that and being the next door neighbor to the united states is like sleeping with the enemy (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know you were gonna go there but i like it funnily enough also my favorite julia roberts movie (laughs) yeah Well, those are all the questions I have for right now for you, Dr. Dr. Doctor. Would you be so good as to please introduce us to the guest you've brought with you today? Oh, I I would love to. Uh, I am introducing you to Arissa Roy. And Arissa Roy started working with the Unsinkable Youth uh, Organization a year ago when we produced a a national television program called Unsinkable Youth, highlighting what young people were going through and their experiences through COVID. She's just somebody I want you to know about. She is a leader, an activist, a young person, only 15 years old, who believes uh, that she can make a difference. And not only believes that she actually is making a difference. One of the things I love about Arista is her her belief that we're all connected. It doesn't matter where you're from, what your skin color is, what your place of origin is, that we we hold this connection. And that connection is both a beautiful thing and a responsibility. And, you know, you really get that when you talk to Arissa, that we are, we're responsible for people beyond our immediate circle, and we need to care about them. And her Project Power Global is all about that, caring about people outside of our borders, caring about young people all over the world who are fighting to get any kind of education and lifting people up through 
education, you know, fighting poverty through education, I think is her tagline, but she's all about lifting people up. And I just, I, I just think this is such a remarkable quality in a young person, because if you remember being young, you're pretty self-absorbed when you're young with all of the high school dramas and love dramas and all the other stuff going on in your life. And, and Arissa, you seem to have, you know, risen above that, or maybe you're connected to, but you choose to, you choose to focus your energy on other things as an unsinkable ambassador. So we have all of these young people really all around the world, but particularly in Canada, who use their voices, who use their social platforms to help shape our organization and also to lift up each other. And so she is the head of our council of um, grade seven and eight students. Wow. Um, she's amazing. Like I love the way she, I've been in a couple of the meetings now and the way that she is able to run the meeting and hear everybody and listen to everybody is pretty special. She also gets up every Sunday morning and leads a meditation along with our mm. ambassador, Pam, every Sunday morning. And I think the young people seeing somebody young, you know, practicing meditation on such a frequent level, is it's just, just this really great thing. So I, I just want everybody to learn a little bit about Arissa. What an introduction. My goodness. That is a lot of incredible achievements already, Arissa, but I got to make Diana feel better. How many words per minute can you type? <laughs> okay. So what are you at? I was uh, very scared about this question because um, this year at school, I took business and typing was part of our business class and it was the one mm. thing I failed. <laughs> so failed. Oh, no. I got a 70. It's not that bad. I got a 70. But honestly, I see I, I'm a note taker and I wrote a note to myself after that test and I'm like, how is this part of the curriculum? Because I have my own typing thing. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I like typing the way I like to type. And I still getting a 70 from that one test that you gave to me. So very crazy, but uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> I, I know that you are. And I'm sorry. That was, I, I don't mean to ask you questions like that. Type Typing is a yeah, way to go. Bring up the sore point. Typing right? is, yes. I did, that was honestly just to make Diana Welcome feel good. Yeah, Di we had a world-class <laughs> typist on the show and it's Diana. Wow, I, I'm retrieve. I'm re, uh, I'm going to dig out my trophy and put it on the uh, mantle. <laughs> Arissa, you are such an inspiring young person that I've had a great chance to to do research on since we knew you were coming on. But everyone should be knowing about what you're doing and what is it like to be introduced by Silken Lauman? I, I feel like I'm in a dream. <laughs> I, I uh, you know, today I was thinking back. Um, to what I said to myself, you know, a year back or, or a year and a half back, you know, in my journey, I've struggled a lot with you know, just believing in myself and and finding that voice that I, I think I've established now. And there's no way I could have imagined that I'd ever be able to, you know, meet Soken, meet all of you and just be able to be a voice that is heard and and it means the world to me to be part of this to be part of unsinkable and to, to know Silken is just you know an absolute gift that I, I can never say thank you for even more so well I think that you're passing on your gift to others which is such a, a unique thing as Silken is touching on when I was 15 I don't uh, I mean I just didn't uh, I was pretty self-centered I'll be I'll be honest I didn't wasn't 
thinking beyond my own backyard, I don't think. And not only are you going citywide, countrywide, you're going internationally with your project Power Global. Can you tell us where that idea came from and, and what it's all about? Definitely. So the idea has been uh, with me since around 2017, when I had a really, really life-changing experience. My family's from India, so we have relatives there. And in 2017, my parents said, they're going to India, we're going to go see your family, and it's going to be awesome. And I was really excited. And I'm, I'm often a person to do research. So I, you know, I was doing the research, and I learned about you know, the culture, of course, I'm, I'm Indian, but I, I didn't know much about India. <laughs> and so I did some research, I learned about it. And through my research, I, I also investigated the problem of poverty and the, the vast amount of people who are living under the poverty line. And more importantly, all the youth that are struggling right now with not having education. And so right before our trip, I, uh, I talked to my brother and I said, look, we got to do something. We're not just going to go there and not do anything. So we decided to raise a bit of money to purchase some school supplies. And we took the school supplies in a big suitcase. Thank you to my aunts who kept it in their house for about three weeks before we, we delivered them. We had those two big suitcases with school supplies and we found a school in need. And so I, I had the opportunity to visit there. And being there, meeting the kids I met, um, that's a moment I can, I can never forget. I was able to speak to them. I was able to be with them and learn about the struggles that they're facing, the inequalities that they're facing. You know, this school was not a school like many of us know in you know, at least for me here in my school, it's it's very different. And I was so shocked with how how happy they were, even though they had so much less than many of us do here. And all I could think about is I, I can just imagine every single one of those kids being, you know, the next president or the next, you know, world leader. And I want them to have that chance. And I want them to be able to know that their voice matters. And so I decided to start Project Power Global, which is an organization dedicated to ensuring access to quality education around the world. It took me a long time to launch because I did struggle with, you know, that Self-confidence and self-doubt. I, I, I would say I, I would say you're doing okay, Arissa. It hasn't taken you too long. You're fi- you're 15. Don't be too hard on yourself. And you've launched a major global initiative helping kids around the world with education. So I think you're doing okay. <laughs> Thank you. What are some of the concrete things that you're doing with PPG? So with PPG, we're an international organization. I have a team of now over 15 young change makers from around the world. I'd say the age range is from around 12 to 20. And we are working on different projects such as our pen pal program that are really, really trying to target directly communities in need. And we are we are trying to not only provide, you know, digital opportunities for students, but also opportunities for students to to learn about other topics as well. One of the things we stand for at Project Power Global is, is diversity in education. I am, I'm so passionate about telling and showing people 
the power of education. But what I'm really passionate about is knowledge. And I think in our schools, we're learning, um, you know, the math and the science, but not so much how to be a good leader, how to be a global citizen. And I think that's something we need to be learning about. So we were working on projects to establish that within communities. And yeah, so it's it's just all about learning and education is our is our concrete focus. I have to say, I love the idea of a pen pal program. And you're not going to believe this, Arissa, but this is a concept that used to be around even when Diana was young. You would write letters to people in different parts of the world, but you had to wait for them to be mailed. It could take quite a long time. Whereas now with the technology, obviously, you got you can write letters back and forth much more quickly. And I love the idea of expanding the educational program to not just talk about the traditional school topics, but to talk about things like world leadership and other things. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the subjects that you guys have come up with to talk about in PenPal? Yeah, so I can even just, you know, kind of explain a bit more about our program. So it's it's a five-week program. Then each week we have chosen five different world issues ranging from climate change to mental health. Through being involved with Unsinkable and all the work I do there, I've really learned a lot about the importance of speaking about mental health, as Silken has talked about. So we found it really important to, you know, have those conversations with the students we're working with. So mental health and mental illness is um, something we discuss. Our other problems that we are talking about as well include racism. So we know that this year has sparked a lot of different conversations on racial inequality in Canada and, and around the world. And so we found it really important to talk about that and discuss. Silken, how much could this curriculum being taught in schools anywhere have helped, you know, long, long ago? Yeah, I mean, it's so much about pulling things out of the shadows, isn't it? Because like, it's like with racism, we know it exists. We've known it exists for so long, but now we're finally talking about it and we're hearing from people who are experiencing racism, what they're experience actually is. We're hearing about from young people about their experience being a person of color in high school. What does that feel like, right? You know, and this is what needs to happen. And what's exciting about Arissa and what she's doing, I think, is it, it is, it, it, it's led by young people. And it's all about lifting each other up, right? It's, um, and that is certainly what we try to do at Unsinkable is we try to like highlight what other people are doing to help should this be taught in the curriculum? Like, right? From the, I wish it had been taught. I wish we talked about issues of race. I wish we talked about mental health. I mean, it didn't even people still don't want to talk about it. People you know? don't. Yeah, people don't even want to talk about it yeah. in personal conversations, let alone in a in a class setting. Yeah, with students yeah, and, and it's something yeah. that, like, you know, we talk about our physical health all the time, right? And there's such a connection between physical health and mental health, and you know, it's it's hard to be physically. 100% healthy if you're not mentally healthy because there, there's, you know, we're one body. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Arissa, now you know what? My my daughter, who's almost seven, has been in online school all, all year, as, as many uh, students have had to be over the past year. Could you talk to us about some of the opportunities with online learning? There are obviously challenges. It's obviously tough to not be in the room with your classmates. There's a dynamic that you can't capture online that that's there, but you seem to really embrace the online 
online learning program. Could you tell us about some of the advantages of it? I think that's a great question because I do also spend Thank a lot you, of <laughs> very great question. I think I do spend a lot of my time explaining to people the uh, the negative effects that having to learn online has caused the world, no- knowing that there are currently 500 million children wow. who are without access to technology, according to the UN, therefore are not able to go to school right now. Um, and so there is a huge gap. There is a huge digital divide right now. But for those of us who do have access to these tools, number one, I think it's really posed a situation where we're able to meet people like never before. You know, being part of Unsinkable and the various other programs I've been a part of, not only have I been able to meet people around my corner on my street, I've also been able to meet people from around the world. And I think it really connects to what we're doing at Project Power Global with our pen pal program. Currently, we're working with a class of students in Edmonton and a class of students in northern India, and they're able to be pen pals, having, you know, that much distance that they're apart. They're, they're able to learn about each other safely and, and in a way that is going to impact the rest of their lives. And so, you know, we, we're able to, to meet people, to learn about new cultures and, and ways of life. Um, from the from the comfort of our own homes. And so I think that's an enormous gift. In terms of online learning, I, I think we also have to remember that there are some students who are quite shy and might thrive in a, in a space where they're able to be in their own home and learn, be, you know, in their room and learn. Like, it's a huge advantage for them as well. You know, I've talked to some of my friends and they say that they're learning a lot more right now. They're able to feel confident when answering questions and asking questions to our teachers. And so it's a gift for for many people as well. And, you know, the last thing I'll add is we're all learning how to use all these technological tools Hmm. um, like Zoom. I think, you know, all of us have probably been on a thousand Zoom calls this year. Arissa, these connections that you're making, and I kind of wonder if you would consider yourself one of those people who maybe is more shy in person than you've been online. Yeah, you know what? Hmm. Um, I, I, I would say yes. Perhaps, yeah. I think people would say I'm I'm more open to you know speaking out when I'm online, but at the same time, I love being in person as well. There's nothing like seeing your friends and mm-hmm. being able to you know hug and and talk and all of that. But I think you know there are certain aspects of you that enjoy being you know in my own room learning. So yeah, yeah. I think it's important. You know, just what you're saying about how the pandemic has really widened the gap around opportunity and education, even in Canada, right, where you have families that don't have a home computer or they're sharing one computer and like, how can you have three kids? How can you do that? So, yeah. so thanks for reminding that uh, us of that, Arissa. I love how much you love education and how you want all students to have that opportunity. And I'm not going to chastise the students like, say, a seven-year-old that lives in my house who sometimes complains about having to go online (laughs) 
and learn school. <laughs> I mean, if I had the opportunity to just fall out of bed and I was already in school mm -hmm. and didn't really have to put any different, I had to wear a uniform and go, this is where an old man tells you, I had to put on a uniform and walk. No, I didn't have to walk, but I enjoyed school as well. But I, I love how much, how much you're loving education and how much you're sharing your message with the world. And you do a lot of YouTube videos and I had a chance to watch one where you write an open letter to world leaders called Dear World Leaders. And I hope that everyone will go see that because there's great sage advice in there. And your advice for the young people of the world, the youth of the world, who see inequities as we all do and wonder what to do about it. You're actually doing things about it. You remind people there's no minimum age to be a world leader. You can be a world leader at any age, and you're not just saying that, you're actually doing that. So it's not a question. It's really, it's really a thank you. But I do have I do have one thing that I'm I have trouble with, Arissa. It's procrastination. Oh, yep. Yep. And I know I saw you have some advice <laughs> on procrastination. And you said uh life is short, so stop procrastinating. And I get it, but Arissa, I've been procrastinating longer than you have been a person. So, I mean, is there still a chance for me to stop procrastinating? No. Because I've been doing it longer than, than you've been alive. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I made that video when I, uh, when I needed it a lot, personally. And I think I, think I still need it a lot. Steve, I, I think he, I think you're doing just fine. You're, you're <laughs> you, you seem like an incredible person, but in terms of procrastination, honestly, like I, I think it, it's fair to say everybody, uh, everybody's struggling with that right now. We're all at home. Our phones are sitting right next to us. We have social media. We have you know Netflix and all of that. You know, my advice, just yes. Focus, focus as well. But you know, something I've learned from Unsinkable is just embrace whatever, whatever you, you kind of want to do as well. Like, just let like take care of yourself as well. I think that's something I, I struggle with too. just balancing my own health and like my other, other work I'm doing. So well, the, the breaks are, you know, it's important to take a break when you're trying to solve a problem or, uh, or working on anything for too long. And as, as Silken mentions, and is obviously a living example of it, if you can get some, some physical time out in nature and get some moving around time, it really does help yeah. with the mental side of things. Arissa, I have one final question. One piece of advice that you've given on your videos is always smile, which isn't always easy to do, yeah. but you, in everything I've seen, and even today, you are always, always smiling. What is something that you do to make yourself smile? I love that question because um, I, uh, I was just making a video. I was asked to make a video for the Malala Fund um, wow. on their, their social media page. And, you know, one of the last clips I sent in was me saying, always smiling. And a few days back, I saw a quote on, on Instagram and it said, you don't always have to smile you know, life is tough and there are tough moments. And so it really made me think, but something I will say is, yes, I say always smile. And I, I most of the time am always smiling, but it's not, it's not what you think of, you know, when, when you first see me or whatever I'm saying, I think when I say always smile, I I'm really saying embrace 
everything in life because everything is happening for you, not to you. Um, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how painful it is, no matter how scary it is, everything is happening in your favor. You know, mm-hmm. I've dealt with many things that I've felt like would tear me down, but I just held, held on to the, to the, you know, the idea that things happen to us for a reason and we just got to hold on a little longer to fully see that reason in, in light. Do you see wow. why I wanted to have my her goodness. on the show? <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, no. I don't feel yeah. inspired wise, at all. <laughs> wise, wise words. Wow. Thank you so, so much, Arissa, for sharing this today. And you're, do, you're working on so many projects. I know you're working with Unsinkable Youth. You're obviously a, uh, the Pen Pal program within Project Power Global. Where should people go to learn more information online? To learn more about Project Power Global, you can visit our website. It's projectpowerglobal.org. Not too hard to remember. If you want to learn more about me, you can check out my Instagram. It's at Arissa underscore Roy. And I'd be happy to connect if anybody wants to. I am a huge fan of meeting new people. And it's it's led me in so many different directions. And so if you want to chat, let me know. Um, I'm happy to. And really would also like to encourage everybody to check out the projects we're working on at Project Power Global because one of our main ones right now is um, called Digital Devolve. And it's all about the digital divide that we talked about today. And it's such an important topic. So I highly, um, highly ask everybody to, to check it out there. Arissa, thank you so much. Dr. 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 Silken Lauman, thank you so much for bringing Arissa on today. And uh, do you have any final words for us? You know, Arissa is a remarkable young person. I am so lucky that I get to meet so many remarkable young people through our unsinkable youth endeavors. And I think there's a lot of people that think, oh, the, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And you know, it's it's these these young people that they have just so much courage. And, you know, despite Arissa talking about the the self-doubt, she's going out there and doing it. And, you know, I think there's that kind of misunderstanding that people who go out and do stuff and go and try to change the world and make things better and, you know, have dreams and are chasing them, don't ever have doubt and fear. And I think Arissa is a great example of somebody who admits, yeah, you know what, I, I doubt myself all the time. I, I certainly can relate to that as an Olympic athlete, but we're still going out there and living as largely as we can. And she's a remarkable human being. So thank you so much for giving us this platform to highlight her. Well, so inspiring. I think, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm so inspired. I might try and break my own record and go for a hundred words per minute. <laughs> That's right. That's right. This, this show has already been transcribed. Diana has been typing every <laughs> word we say at 92 words per minute. I think these are incredible messages that you passed on today. Thank you so much for spending the time with us and yeah, fear, fear is okay. Embrace it. Get through it. Self-doubt is okay. It's the people that never doubt themselves that I'm worried about. Uh, <laughs> they could use some more time for self-doubt, I think. So thank you so much again, everyone. You are truly Canadian stars. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 
The Canadian Star System is produced by Diana Francis and Steve Patterson in association with the Apostrophe Podcast Network. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit our website at canadianstarsystem.ca where you can find links to their work and their socials. Speaking of socials, you can follow at Canadian Star Pod and at Apostrophe Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our editor and sound technician is Donovan Deschner of Fracture Ephemer Productions. Music by Mark Camilleri of Imagine Sound Studios. Special thanks to Terry O'Reilly, Debbie O'Reilly, Callie O'Reilly, and Nancy Patterson, who is an honorary O'Reilly. So give it up to these good because our self-promotion sucks. And if they all went away, we sure wouldn't miss them. The Canadian Star System. Um, I was coaching my husband. He's um, being uh, nominated or, or sort of inducted into the Ontario Business Hall of Fame. And he was giving me a speech. And I said, okay, sweetie. He's like, what do you think? I'm like, honestly, it's totally forgettable. And <laughs> 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 you edit that out. No, <laughs>